Friends, will you open with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1? Joshua chapter 1, we're continuing our series to march through the Old Testament. We're going to finish the Old Testament by May, seeing a survey of what God has done for his glory in his salvation in the Old Testament. And Evan read the entirety of our passage, so I'll just read again Joshua chapter 1 and beginning in verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then I will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray together. Father, give us a vision of you. Give us a vision of this kind of God, the God of Joshua, the God who is with us and for us, who defines us, who shares his glory with us. Be that God to us. We plead with you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if I could give you one key from Joshua's life to bless and empower your Christian life, just as you survey the life of this one man in Scripture, it would be this, that doing flows from being. Doing flows from being. What we do in the Christian life, what we strive for, how we obey, what we do in God's kingdom, what kind of ministry we participate in flows best and fullest and brightest from who we are and who God has made us to be. Doing flows from being. We get the being right, like what our identity is in Christ and what he has done on our behalf and who we are because of his great work and the doing is going to flow out of that rich reservoir of what God has done in us and for us. Now when you get to the book of Joshua and you start reading through this thing, you realize that the book of Joshua is a lot of doing. Like God does tremendous, glorious things through this man, Joshua. That's his plan. That's what he does. You guys remember where we are in the story of salvation, that that God raised up Moses and Moses led the people of Israel out of the land of slavery, out of Egypt. And they went by way of Sinai where they received the Ten Commandments and built the tabernacle and came right up to the edge of modern day Israel sent spies into the land. The spies came back and said, the land is beautiful that God promised to give you, but there's no way we can take it. And because they doubted God and his promise, God said, your judgment is you'll wander for 40 years in the wilderness until those spies and that generation dies out and I will give the land to your kids. Israel wanders for 40 years. They come back to the land of modern-day Israel. They're standing on the far side of the Jordan River, looking out over this land that God had promised all the way since Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to make you a great nation so that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then at this moment in salvation history, Joshua explodes onto the ancient Near East landscape like an older version of Alexander the Great. 
he crosses the Jordan River and he hits the city of Jericho and it falls. And he hits the city of Ai and it falls. And he hits the Amorite kings, there are five of them, and they fall as a nation. And now he's got the land of Canaan cut in half. And so he turns to the south and marches on the kings and kingdoms there. And he defeats them all the way to the Gaza Strip where the Philistines live. And then when he turns north, the northerners are able to unite and they bring their kingdoms together and they bring with them that great mechanized war machine of their day, the chariot that would strike fear in enemies' hearts and God gives the north into the hands of Joshua. By Joshua chapter 12, there's a roll call of nations. The nations that God used Joshua to defeat. And there are 31 kings in 31 kingdoms that Joshua at the helm of the people of Israel has defeated in the land of Canaan. Well, dang, that's impressive. Sweetie, what did you do at work today? Well, you know, I crushed some kingdoms, 31 of them, but who's counting? Remember all the way back to Numbers chapter 13 when those 12 spies went into the land and it was 12 12 spies plus Joshua and Caleb. And the spies came back and said, yes, the land that God has promised us, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it could feed a ton of people, it's great, but there's no way we can defeat it. You've got cities, they're well fortified, you've got standing armies who are there, these are seasoned warriors, we're not going to do this. And the people are ready to revolt and Joshua throws himself into the middle of the people and says, don't be afraid of them, if God has given us this land, they will be as bread to us. We're going to eat them like bread. The day Israel crosses the Jordan River 40 years later, manna from heaven ceases. They never again pick up God's manna from heaven, but instead they feast on the land of Canaan. The Canaanites have become as bread to them. What a remarkable series of victories. By the end of Joshua's life, scripture says of him, Joshua chapter 11, verse 15, Joshua left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. What a statement and what a prayer. Can you imagine praying something like this, even for the new year, praying something? Lord, let me leave nothing undone of all the work that you've given me to do. Whatever it is this year, whoever it is to serve, whatever it is to suffer, whatever it is to experience, let me by your power leave nothing undone that you've given me to do. God did a tremendous work through Joshua. And that kind of work through this kind of man begs the question, where did this guy come from? What's the being that led to the doing? How do you get somebody like Joshua who's able to do these kinds of things? What happened in his life? What did God do to prepare him as a man for the role that God gave him in salvation history? Well, we learn about that beginning in this passage and passages before it. Because in verse one, we're reminded that Moses was the servant of the Lord And Joshua was Moses' assistant. 
So this is kind of like a scene from the office, right? Joshua is not the assistant regional manager. He's the assistant to the regional manager. That's, that's where he gets his big break. That's where he gets his big start. God just loves, God loves small, humble beginnings, doesn't he? Isn't he just a sucker for taking something that's small, taking something the size of a mustard seed and surprising the worldly wisdom and the worldly wealth and the worldly principalities and powers and doing something so supernatural through something that is so small? He just loves that and it's everywhere in the Bible. In fact, Moses could have told him that. Which is interesting because Moses, I mean, he was born and he barely dodged infanticide death, but he was swooped up into Pharaoh's house and he had a childhood among wealth and among power. And it would have seemed like a great transition for God to grab Moses while he was at the top of Pharaoh's house and then lead him to be the leader of the people of Israel. He had the training, he had the resources, he had the connections and the wherewithal. But God doesn't do that because God typically doesn't do that. Instead, he plucks Moses out of a place of power and he sticks him in a desert where he's going to be a shepherd for 40 years in the middle of nowhere. And when 40 years is done, he says, yeah, now we're ready. Now I can use a man like this. He's been humbled in my presence. He's a man of small beginnings and I'm ready to raise him up to use him to lead my people. That's what he's gonna do with Joshua. He starts as the assistant to the regional manager and everywhere he is in the Torah, he's just tagging behind Moses. Moses goes here and little Joshua, son of Nun, is following behind him. Moses goes over here and he tags behind him. But then he starts tagging behind him on really important things. Like you may not have noticed, but when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and all the people of Israel stay behind, Joshua follows him up the mountain. Joshua is invited to go with him. He doesn't go to the top, but he goes somewhere on the mountain and he waits for Moses and he's there nearby proxy, the glory of God on Mount Sinai. But one of my favorite scenes of the forming of Joshua happens in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. So, Before the people built the tabernacle, they had a a little tent of meeting. It was really a place of prayer. It was outside the camp. The Israelites are in the Sinai Peninsula. They're camping in the wilderness. And there's this tent where God's glory would descend. And that's where Moses would go to meet with God. And typically when he did that, the people of Israel would get up and stand outside their tents and watch Moses meeting with God. But on this particular occasion, and maybe on other occasions, Joshua goes with him into the tent where the glory of God is, and this is what we read. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. You catch that? Like Moses, he goes to this place to pray. He sees God's glory. He receives God's instructions. He turns around and and leaves to do God's bidding. And Joshua stays in the tent. He, He lingers in this place of prayer, beholding God's glory. Joshua's young, formative years 
are in the presence of God, absorbing and being bent under the glory of God. Friend, don't you want this to be true? Don't you want it to be true that there is no place sweeter than the very presence of God? to be before him in prayer, before him in his word, before him in communion, before him with friends, to be in the presence of God, speaking to him in prayer and hearing from him in his word and to be shaped by those very things. The Bible says that if we're born again, God's spirit lives inside of us and resonates with this. The Holy Spirit inside of our hearts is like a magnet to metal when you pick up a passage like Exodus 33 and God's spirit is saying to our spirit, yes, this is true. This is what I want. I know my flesh wants other things. I know it's greedy for other things, but this is what I want in the spirit. It is to be in God's presence, beholding his glory and being shaped under the weight of who he is and what is true of his character. That's the heart cry of every born again believer because his spirit is in us resonating with what's true. That is being. That's what it means to be. That's what it means to identify. That's what it means to be shaped. Being is not first and foremost what we've done for God, but who we are in God. What he says is true of us is the most important thing about us. We don't graduate from that. We don't move on from the school of prayer and the school of discipleship and in any kind of linear fashion from, do, from being to get on to doing. We are always, always being in God and in fellowship with him. And so was Joshua in this school that God had him in. Joshua doesn't graduate. Doesn't graduate from the school of prayer. Doesn't graduate from his being before God. But the call of God for his ministry doing happens to Joshua like it happened to Moses, like it happens to all of us, way sooner than we think we're ready for it. Like, God, leave me in this place of prayer. Leave me in this place of, of growing, of feasting, of feeding on you, of identifying with you. I have so much to learn, so much to repent of, so much to grow in. And even in the midst of all that good stuff, God draws Joshua out like he draws you and I out and says, I have something for you to do. I have a task for you to do. I know you're still being, but we got to get on with some doing. Now, you might look back at the story of Joshua and all those great things that he did and, and, and begin to think about Joshua like we think about a lot of Bible characters, just this two-dimensional, flanograph, spiritual person that he just wasn't afraid of anything and he could just do anything that God asked him to do. We know that's not true because if you have time later this afternoon and you want to do a little word study on Joshua and you type Joshua into your Bible search engine and you look at every reference to Joshua in the book of Deuteronomy, which happens right before the book of Joshua, almost every time Joshua's name is mentioned in Deuteronomy, it goes something like this. God tells Moses to go tell Joshua not to be afraid. I know he's scared. 
I know he doesn't want to do this. I know he doesn't feel ready. I know he thinks there are things in his past that can't be overcome. I know he thinks that there are sins that cannot be forgiven. I know he thinks that if the people knew the real Joshua, he would never be fit for leadership in their midst. I want you to tell Joshua, be strong and courageous because I'm with him. All through Deuteronomy. And by the time you get to our passage in Joshua chapter 1, God is saying those exact same things. Joshua, I want you to hear who you are in me. God is rehearsing for Joshua his identity before himself. Look at these references in our passage. Verse 5. God says to him, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Why is he saying that to Joshua? Because Joshua thinks God is going to leave him or forsake him. So God says, who are you, Joshua? You're one that I've claimed. You're one that I'm with. You're one that is mine and I will never ever leave you or forsake you and lo I will be with you always even to the end of the age verse 3 he tells him every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given you just as I promised who are you Joshua you are a man who has received great and precious promises All of God's promises are good and true and all of them are yes and amen in Christ and whatever God promises because it's not possible for him to lie will come true on your behalf. Joshua, you're a man of promises. Verse eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night. Who are you, Joshua? You're not a man of your own making. You're not a man who lives on bread alone, not even Canaanite bread, but a man who lives on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're a man who's being shaped even now by everything that God says is true and everything God says is true of you. That's who you are. And finally, verse 9 Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Who are you, Joshua? I know you think that you have a spirit of fear and timidity, but that's not you. That's self-dependent people. That's people that are trying to do this thing in their own strength. That's people who are trying to work out the Christian life on their own energy and their own righteousness. And Joshua, that's not you. I'm telling you, that is not you. The Lord is with you. He is in you. And he gives you the very resources you need to do exactly what he is calling you to do. Do you see how tender God is with Joshua? I mean, Joshua hadn't done anything. He hadn't proved himself. He hadn't done anything. He hadn't crossed the Jordan River yet. He hasn't done any of these things. God hasn't got any doing out of Joshua yet. It's all being. And yet watch our heavenly father attend to this man who's got a tough exterior and a tender interior and says, I'm speaking my truth to you. This is who you are because this is who I am. 
as we kind of see that, meditate on that, think about the dynamic between God and Joshua, I want to ask you by way of application, Christian, do you want to do great and mighty things for God? Do you want to do great and marvelous and miraculous things for God? I know that sounds like a trick question in the church, but it's not. Because when I say great and mighty things, I don't mean great and mighty as the world counts great and mighty, like something that I can do that I can put a flag in and say, that's mine, I did it, and I did it by my own strength and I want credit for it. We don't mean that kind of great and mighty. We mean the great and mighty that is precisely the things that God is calling you to do in his kingdom for his glory. Discipling our kids working for the fame of God's name in our workplace, finding one neighbor in our neighborhood we can serve this month, one neighbor in our neighborhood that we can speak gospel truth to this year, something that we will suffer and still praise the name of the Lord, that's the great and mighty kingdom stuff I'm talking about. And Ephesians 2.10 says, This is how we're designed in God's kingdom. As God draws us to himself by grace through faith, it says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's a crazy thought. God has already laid out the good for you to walk in. Just like he did for Joshua, Joshua's good was to fit the battle of Jericho. He's got work and he's got war for you to do today and tomorrow and this week and this month. But here's the crazier thought from Joshua. Even so, God is not chiefly interested in the work that he can get out of you. Some of you serve that kind of God who's more interested in your time or your money or your volunteerism and and your value is weighed against what you have to offer God's kingdom. But that's not the God of Joshua and that's not the God of the Bible. He is chiefly interested in you and the work that he has done in you, a heart that is warm towards him because that is glorious to him. A doing That comes from being. Jesus reminded us of this very thing in John 15 when he said, I'm the vine. Why do you say that? Because the disciples thought they were the vine. And so he said, no, let's get back to square one. Get a whiteboard. I am the vine. You're just a branch. You're a branch hanging off the end of the vine that is absolutely utterly dependent on who I am and what I can do. And if you're that kind of branch that's hanging on to that kind of vine, that's your being, that's your abiding in me, then we'll talk about doing. Then we'll talk about bearing fruit. Then we'll talk about great and mighty things you will do for the kingdom of God. All doing flows from being in the Christian life. Friend, if you are in Christ, this is your being. 
God cannot, will not leave you or forsake you. God has given you great and precious promises that he cannot and he will not break towards you. God has given you his word to shape you day and night, not by your own devices, your own opinions, your own thinking, but the words that proceed from his mouth. And God has given you strength and courage to do even the hard things that he has called you to do. Doing flows from being. We bear fruit as we abide in this kind of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, I beg you that you will make us a people who abide. Make us like branches connected to the vine who drink deep and precious nourishment from you and from who you've made us to be. And through that, we bear much fruit. That would be to your greatest glory. And so we pray for the very thing you are eager to do in and through us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.